almost 99% of the Earth is hotter than 1,000 degrees Celsius. And that is something that uh, we don't realize, that the geothermal gradient is so pronounced and that the Earth is so hot. That also tells you that the geothermal resources are really huge. The potential is almost unlimited. Welcome to Science Town, a podcast about the most unique research community on the planet. With every episode, we will bring you cutting-edge tech, science, and startup culture through the eyes of pioneering men and women. Their journeys cross disciplines and cross borders in the pursuit of world-changing science. Hello, I'm Nicholas DeMille. Welcome to episode 14 of Science Town. Geothermal is a sustainable, abundant, and largely untapped energy resource. Around the world, countries are turning to this fascinating and perhaps less well-known form of energy to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. In this episode, we sit down with some of the world's leading experts on geothermal to hear about what solutions it has to offer humanity in the age of global climate change. Enjoy. It took nature probably three billion years to capture CO2 from the atmosphere and to bury it underground in the form of carbonates and fossil fuels. And now it's taking us probably 200 years to pull it out from underground and bring it back to the atmosphere. That's Carlos Santamarina. He's a professor of energy resources at KAUST. And he's among a group of experts that came together in early 2020 to share ideas on geothermal energy. We pay for garbage uh, disposal for all industrial products and home products. Mm -hmm. However, we don't pay for garbage disposal of CO2 that we emit into the atmosphere. Mm. So if we would begin paying, which is the real cost of business, then uh, other alternative resources would have a much better chance. So a key to the solution is to look at it comprehensively and without creating false subsidies and let the real forces of the the market drive the growth, but charging for all the real costs, the cost of climate change and, and the consequences of CO2 accumulation in the atmosphere are almost difficult to anticipate. They are tremendous. That cost has to go back into the economic system so optimization can properly take place. Ultimately, we are responsible for quality of life, for the future of uh, of our planet and our people. Science Town, brought to you by KAUST. So a geothermal resource is going to be somewhere underground where you have abnormally high heat flows. Hmm. So you need heat, uh, you need fluid, uh, so you need uh, essentially a water content inside those rocks, which means those rocks have to have some level of uh, both porosity and what's called permeability to allow that fluid to move through the rock and to well bores. That's Rosalind Archer. She's the director of the Geothermal Institute at the University of Auckland. 
So uh, a geothermal project essentially is trying to recover that hot fluid from underground. And it's considered renewable if you're not too greedy about how you do it, uh, because ideally the, that heat will continue to come into the system and heat more fluid, um, which flows into the system, unlike, unlike oil and gas, where the resource is clearly finite. Yeah, yeah. So once the fluid comes to surface, you have some options. You can either let it flash to steam, because the fluids, at least in New Zealand, could be 250 degrees Celsius. So wow, they, okay. they want to create a whole lot of steam, right. which then you use to drive a steam turbine, yeah. recondense the fluid, and either inject it back underground or dispose of it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Right. One other advantage of geothermal as, a, as an energy source is, is the heat in itself. So you may have processes where you actually don't need electricity, you need heat. In New Zealand, we use the heat for um, processing uh, timber from the wood industry, for instance, for drying timber. Here in Saudi, uh, the heat would be attractive to run uh, desalination plants. Absolutely, right. I believe in greenhouse uh, technologies too, it might be uh, pretty handy. Yes, yeah, the use in greenhouses is quite fascinating. Mm-hmm. Some of my favourite images of um, the use of the heat, which they call direct use, come from um, Africa, from the geothermal fields in Kenya, okay. where there are acres upon acres of beautiful greenhouses. Right. And we think of Kenya as hot, but obviously like, like Saudi, it gets cool in the evening. It does, yeah. Uh, so they use the, the geothermal heat to keep the greenhouses warm through the evening, and they grow beautiful flowers that are um, packaged up, labelled with Marks and Spencers, and shipped off to London, straight out of Kenya, powered exactly. by geothermal. Give us a sense for the footprint of geothermal in the energy mix in New Zealand. In New Zealand, geothermal is a really important energy source. We generate about 17% of our electricity from geothermal. That's part of a wider scene where renewables are really important in New Zealand. We're about 85% renewable for electricity. Wow. Yeah. As a, a sector, does academia in New Zealand, is, has there been a large investment in geothermal, a, a sort of commensurate with that big wedge of geothermal as an energy source? Like, how, how do you place that? That's an interesting question. Geothermal um, came to have a strong home in the university uh, in the kind of late 70s with government support from our international aid program. So the International Aid Programme actually empowered the university to recruit more staff than we usually would have so we could bring in cohorts of international students from around the world to support their developments overseas. I see. So so there's a 50 or more year legacy of geothermal energy. Absolutely, yeah. Our first uh, geothermal plant uh, came online in the 1960s. Wow, okay. Let's uh, dream a little bit about what 15, 20 years into the future. Is geothermal a bigger part of the global energy and heating and cooling mix? Is it a pretty stable technology that's going to relatively stay where it is? Like, How do you, um, how do you envision that? I, I would love to see it grow. Um, I was just reading from the International Geothermal Association yesterday that the last 12 months have been one of the biggest growth periods in global geothermal generation ever. 
Uh, so globally, it is still very much on a growth curve. We'll see growth in uh, more growth in Europe. We'll see uh, South America. Uh, here in the Middle East, we've seen the first project in uh, Iran. So Iran is now okay. generating geothermal power. Mm-hmm. So I think I think we will be in a growth period with maybe the expansion of existing technology, but also some really innovative stuff. When I'm sort of chairing our National Geothermal Congress in New Zealand, my push is is really around integration, around getting people into the room, into the venue that are not doing conventional geothermal. Get the solar guys in to come to talk to us. Get the wind guys to come and talk to us to say, well, if I'm going to all the trouble of building a power plant with grid interconnections, why don't I have wind and solar on the same site? How can they work right. together? Right. So I think we yeah. will see more examples of geothermal plus solar and here in the Middle East. I mean, that would be a natural place to look to do that. Right. So geothermal and generation of hydrogen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a, a pilot project for that in New Zealand. Uh, geothermal and CO2 sequestration. How does that work? Like, why did those two things go together nicely? So there's some some fantastic technology from a company called Climion in Europe where they're using the geothermal heat to power um, devices that literally suck CO2 out of the atmosphere. So they just process air and clean that air. They grab the CO2 and then if you're uh, at a geothermal site, you can get some benefits from injecting that CO2 underground into the geothermal reservoir to maintain the fluid pressures in the system. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, That's it's seriously exciting. zany. Right. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Thank you so much for speaking. Oh, for you're welcome. Tech, science, and startup culture. Science Town. What is the the, the picture in, that you're seeing emerge um, as how viable is geothermal in the kingdom, and uh, do you think it's a it's a good solution for the future? Yeah, new technology has come forward in the in the past years, and and partially pioneered here as well mm-hmm. at Kaus. That's Volker Verenkamp. He's a professor of energy research and petroleum engineering at Kaust is to use water with uh, less heat, so 120 degrees or is already roughly enough. Mm. That water then uh, can be used uh, in direct heat exchangers to either drive desalination or uh, do air conditioning. Ah. And then it becomes, of course, very interesting for uh, Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. because you know the big energy needs here in Saudi Arabia are uh, air conditioning and probably mainly uh, desalination. We have no natural water sources left, basically. And uh, along the coast, every drop of water that we have here is uh, is from desalination. And that desalination right now is run by oil. And gas, yeah, uh, and ten million barrels is be, uh, of oil is being produced uh, in in Saudi Arabia, and in peak summer times, about three million barrels are used internally. I see. Right. So this is per day. Per day. Yeah. Yes. So uh, one million for transportation, one million for air conditioning, and one million for desalination. So if we can replace that with a renewable energy source. Mm-hmm then um, that would be very advantageous. Yeah. 
It it it, uh, it strikes me that it probably fits in both with the country's vision for the future and, and targets that they want to hit, but then it also probably um, goes well with some of the developments along this west coast. Uh, that are looking to have sort of zero impact uh, type operations. Are, are you saying that you think it's certainly a, a viable option to replace diesel run uh, sort of traditional desalination options? Yes, of course. And, and that, is, that is the vision that wow. we have, right? Yeah. So what I foresee is really that uh, we will go forward in tackling uh, desalination and district air conditioning issues along the coast. And this has been recognized now also, I think, within the community and the ministries and various agencies uh, in in Saudi Arabia that were part of the conference. So now there will be efforts uh, both on on the East Coast and the West Coast to perhaps find locations where we can build pilots to test, you know, whether this really works. You know, if you produce a lot of energy, you know, a lot of heat from uh, from solar, for example, yeah. you know, you could perhaps store it mm. in the earth, right? So you make the heat at the surface mm. uh, more than you need during the day, and then you pump it into the earth. It just keeps it there like a thermos, right? You know? And at night, when when there's no solar, you can you can extract it back out and use it. So, you know, there's, a, there's an aspect of, of energy storage that is also part of the geothermal picture. still a possibility for people to innovate uh, startups and companies that are, that are going to do this or is this going to be much more large contracting companies that are that are already working in the kingdom give me give me a sense for that well i think both of it is uh, will be required actually you okay. know, we, we need to have uh, startup and thinking groups that come up with new ideas that do mm-hmm. the simulations to kind of calculate whether it's feasible but you know, there comes the point where you have to put the money on the table and <laughs> drill, right? And uh, so for that, you need to have institutions with bigger pockets. Right. Uh, and and that, are, that have an appetite also to try out new stuff and be the mm. first one to lead it, you know, and, and be a technology leader in this. Uh, we need to trial this. Mm. And just like with solar panels that were also very expensive early on, mm-hmm. you know, and investment was necessary from governments to, to, to make it palatable. I, I think this will now also happen in the geothermal scene here in Saudi. That, that is the path that is uh, emerging right now. Yeah. I mean, we have the resources in principle here in Saudi Arabia, and we have the subsurface knowledge. So if we break this, if we are able to mature these kind of technologies, then there are how many countries are in the are there in the world that need water? Yeah. You know, so in arid countries everywhere, 
right? And they may not have the means to develop this and, and so forth. But if we can do it here, we can export this technology. There's jobs involved and, uh, and all kinds of other economic and humanitarian benefits. So I always call myself an applied scientist, you know. So what I'm really interested in is to make it happen, you know, to translate uh, all these, uh, this knowledge that we have and combine, get the people together, the various mm -hmm. disciplines, have them work together mm -hmm. and come up with the solutions. And, and that is really, you know, for me, perhaps the main driver at this point. Exciting. Yeah. Thank you so much for speaking with us. I really okay. appreciate it. Yeah, it was a pleasure. You're listening to Science Town. My area really is to look at subsurface fluid and energy transport, particularly with respect to geothermal energy, but also to other fluid transport processes in the subsurface, such as CO2 sequestration, groundwater flow, uh, contaminant transport, and things like that. That's Martin Saar. He's a professor for geothermal energy and geofluids at ETH Zurich. So you're perhaps best known for uh, starting to explore the link between uh, geothermal energy production and CO2 sequestration. So talk, uh, talk a bit about how that idea came about and where it's gone. Yeah, so that happened about uh, 10 years ago when I was a professor at the University of Minnesota in the United States. I had a PhD student at the time uh, with whom I was uh, doing some research on geothermal energy, but also simultaneously on CO2 sequestration. And the basic idea really is if uh, the world is going to do a lot more CO2 sequestration to reduce global warming, then what if we take the CO2 which gets heated up underground because it's always hotter the deeper you go, the hotter it gets. And we bring it back up to the surface and we generate electricity uh, with that and then re-inject the CO2 back down into the ground so that no CO2 is actually lost to the atmosphere. Wow. So still 100% of the CO2 is still stored in this concept. So the, the, so the question uh, I was asking myself, is that a crazy idea or does this actually uh, make sense? Yeah. And it turns out that it does make a lot of sense because the efficiency is roughly doubled in electricity generation compared to water, all else being equal. So now the question is, uh, what, what is that emitter, uh, that CO2 mm -hmm. emitter? So if, if this is, say, a coal-fired power plant, uh, then uh, the CO2 is generated from coal, or if it's a natural gas power plant, would be from, from that. Um, and so in that case, when you stick the CO2 down, you sequester it uh, permanently, it's neutral, right? Because it came out of the, 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 the fossil fuel came out of the ground. Yes. And then CO2 was generated mm -hmm. by combusting it. Mm -hmm. And then you stick it back down into the ground. So there's, uh, it's neutral in that sense. Um, and then we just put the geothermal cycle on top of that, which we call CO2 plume geothermal or CPG, which doesn't change, uh, change it. So, so do you take this technology and add it essentially to an existing power plant? Is that uh, how you uh, would envision doing that? Yeah, so the, uh, the simplest way of doing it would be to go 
to someone else who does a CCS, carbon capture and storage. Mm. Um, so uh, it doesn't matter if it's uh, a power plant or a cement manufacturers, because right. cement making cements releases a lot of CO2 also and needs to be captured in the future. Yeah. Um, or biofuel refinery, there's many CO2 so stationary CO2 sources where, where the CO2 eventually will have to be captured. Yeah. And so um, some of these, uh, industries will capture it and then store it underground and and that's where we would then come in and the idea is to say uh, look you have all these extra costs now that you have to capture the co2 yeah. and you have to uh, inject it and this all costs money and it adds to the price of electricity or cement and so on and so forth it's mm -hmm. important to do it to reduce global warming but it adds to the cost of doing your business sure how about we add our CO2-based geothermal energy loop on top of that. And with that, uh, you, we can generate electricity. Mm -hmm. um, you're still storing 100% of the CO2 underground permanently, eventually. Right. We're just boring the CO2 uh, to take the heat out. And we then can use the electricity to run the capture, the CO2 capture facility and or the CO2 injection pumps. Mm -hmm. Um, and if there's uh, power left after that, it can be sold to the grid and um, money can be made from that. Wow. And so it's a way of subsidizing carbon capture and storage to get back to maybe the cost that the industry had originally. Yeah. But also if it's a power plant to get the power back up to where it used to be because carbon capture actually reduces mm -hmm. uh, the, the power output of a power plant. Mm -hmm. And uh, therefore, that's another way, uh, way of getting back to where the industry was before, in this case, right. uh, generating as much power or even more if you can sell extra power, geothermal power, than to the grid. <music> exciting because it seems like it's solving it's one of those kind of win-win-win situations and it sounds like it's gonna potentially help move regulatory frameworks so, so people will get more interested and there'll be more incentive for, for businesses to do this type of thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's uh, for companies, mm -hmm. uh, it's quite often they want to do so, sort of the, the right thing mm -hmm. and not emit as much or any CO2 anymore, if right. possible. But if the economics don't work out, um, yeah. then they they can't do much about it. So yes, so when we uh, offer a way of uh, getting back those costs, um, partially or fully, or even making additional money, then that barrier is reduced or removed. Um, and it, it can even become an additional business opportunity if you do this uh, in areas where the uh, where you can get a lot of geothermal power out of the ground uh, in that way mm -hmm. and, and maybe if i if i may add to this um, so one very important aspect of the technology is actually uh, where we can do this geologically speaking 
the areas where you can currently uh, generate economically uh, geothermal electricity are those where at two kilometers depth or so you have temperatures of uh, say at least 100 if not uh, 200 degrees Celsius mm. where you have a lot of heat fairly close to the Earth's surface. And our technology though um, expands the geographic regions where you can economically, that's important, it has to be economical, generate geothermal electricity because with the doubling of the efficiency we can actually afford to go to fairly low temperatures in the subsurface. Right. So we don't have to drill really deep, mm -hmm. we can get away with much much lower temperatures and still make uh, geothermal electricity at levelized cost of electricity that are actually competitive in the market and only then can it actually be implemented. In principle it can be done wherever CO2 sequestration is happening at say two to four kilometers depth. That's yeah. very exciting. Thank you so much for speaking with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Crossing Disciplines and Crossing Borders, Science Town. My name is Alexander Richter. Um, I'm the president of the International Geothermal Association, which is a pro bono position essentially helping and supporting the industry. My main, main line of business is I run a geothermal news website and, and services around that. Uh, so trying to help promote companies and the geothermal sector. And that includes also a lot of research on the industry, opportunities and market development and, and, and the likes. Mm. I mean, Iceland, where I'm based, this is a very geothermal country. So, yeah, and I completely fell in love with the industry and, and, and become really passionate uh, for geothermal. And uh, I started a news platform in a sense to kind of like promote it. And then, then it became like the biggest news platform for the, for the sector and covering globally what's going on worldwide. And talk internationally about geothermal, what it has to offer and about the challenges, but also kind of how, how and where we fit into the whole energy transition and those discussions. Yeah. Yeah. So paint that big picture for us. What is the footprint of the geothermal sector now and, and what do people envision it for in the future? Geothermal energy naturally is just one of the, 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 the energy technologies that is really little known, uh, unfortunately. And uh, it provides great opportunities, but uh, it is in the overall context like a very, very small industry, particularly in the context of wind and, and solar. But we play in specific countries that have great, fantastic geothermal resources. We play actually a big role. For example, in Kenya, which is not the largest geothermal country based on installed capacity, but it's 50% of the electricity in Kenya actually comes from geothermal. So it kind of shows the impact wow. it can have in specific geographics. Yeah. So we will see, we will see more growth in those countries. So today, 27 countries actually produce geothermal power, probably more, more than 50 countries that kind of look into generating power as well with geothermal. Mm -hmm. So that list can grow up to 80 plus uh, uh, countries going forward. Yeah. I think one of the elements that we, we in the whole discussion on, on uh, renewable energy and, and, and the transition to decarbonizing the, the energy sector is that we completely forget the heating and cooling sector. I guess here in Saudi Arabia we're not looking at heating, uh, but you need heat also for cooling, uh, interesting enough, because we, we are essentially tapping into the heat of the earth mm. and so you use energy directly. 
you don't use electricity to create heat uh, and that provides great opportunities um, so in europe where, where there are big efforts as part of the green deal to kind of decarbonize the the, the energy sector and particularly the, the the heating and cooling sector is that's where geothermal really plays an important part and we have now uh, a large number of, of, of countries and, and, and utilities and cities actually looking at geothermal as an option to to replace fossil fuel based uh, district heating if it is such a great solution why traditionally hasn't it been a bigger part of the energy mix? It is a natural resource that you have to drill for. So there's certain risk element in, in finding the resource and in, in a quantity that makes it uh, usable. Mm-hmm. These are challenges. On the other hand, is it's an issue of, of a country understanding the role an energy source can play and putting a value on top of it. This is what we've seen uh, traditionally, that it, that we have an energy market that is pre- predominantly focused on price only. So With cheap hydrocarbons are easy. Cheap to get hydrocarbons. I mean, this naturally has changed a bit. The, the challenge really is, is, is for the, uh, the policy sector is to understand that there's a value for having a, a constant baseload source of energy. When the wind blows, uh, fine, you have electricity. And when the sun shines, you have electricity. But overnight, you don't. What technology provides you then the, the base that you need to kind of operate uh, during the night, for example. Um, yeah. So when you have a natural resource in your own home turf that you can tap into for power or for, for heat, for that matter, it makes it much more secure. Plus, it's it's uh, emission-free if you use it correctly. So this makes it relatively attractive. Um, we are too often talk only about the challenges and the risks involved in drilling for geothermal. Yeah. Uh, instead of focusing on really of the opportunities and understanding that risk is only part of it. Right. Um, so this is something that we as an industry are pushing more and more is, is for the public and, 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 and politicians to understand our value in the whole energy chain and the energy transition. So a country needs the right tech and know-how, it needs the right policy environment, and then of course it needs the right resources. Is there anything else in that mix that needs to happen before a country can sort of invest in a big way in that? I gave a presentation as part of the conference that takes place here right now at KAUST, and, and what I tried to talk about is that you know an energy market for, let's say, a geothermal lifts of its ecosystem. Mm. So all of those elements that kind of like affect, you know, development and, 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 and so on kind of are very important. Yeah. And that includes naturally technology, no question about it. Uh, and there's a social element as well, is understanding what impact you have on your community. Mm. So there's a sustainability element as well. It's like, so the stakeholder engagement, you know, on, on all kinds of levels is, is, is very crucial. Mm. And, as, and as I said, as part of the ecosystem, it's also about getting the visibility to give it a voice. Yeah. So we are represented towards all the other uh, options that are out there. And what we as a sector uh, are also saying is that we are not the one and only solution. So we're not competing with solar and wind. We need all of those resources. Mm-hmm. What, in a, in a big picture sense, what's the possibility uh, as in terms of like a percentage of the overall global energy mix? Like what's the um, possibility there? Yeah, so... 
there's, there, there was a study done uh, in 2007 uh, as a climate vision study by the Worldwide Fund for Nature, and um, uh, which I found really interesting. It looked at all the different energy technologies uh, kind of and, and their future, and um, they were looking at all the different technologies and the role they play. And then what was really interesting in that in that regard, it was like it was probably energy efficiency was probably the, the biggest element in our energy transition. So it's basically saving energy rather yeah. than producing it. And yeah. uh, and I, th I found this quite remarkable. But then the second technology that was mentioned as part of it was geothermal. In China, for example, where you know most of the heating is done still by coal. Yeah. Um, and the big efforts that are made by, by the Chinese government um, and the money that's put in, I mean, like geothermal is now playing a tremendously important role in creating these smoke-free cities, as, as the Chinese government called it, calls right. it. And, uh, and the impact that has on, on health and, and life quality of those people, I mean, it's remarkable. So yes, energy plays a part, but it's like it's part of a much, much bigger picture than just the pure numbers. Hmm. Um, and in a sense of having one technology providing so many opportunities, provides also a complete different economic uh, element. Mm -hmm. Like I said, we have something to offer. Mm -hmm. um, we will be part of the overall solution. And we just hope that, that this moves forward in a way that kind of helps us kind of like decarbonize particularly those sectors that we play a role in. Wonderful. Thank you for speaking with us. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who took part in this episode. Science Town is produced by Mark Bowes, Alex Arias, and Julie West. I'm Nicholas DeMille. Until next time, thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of King Abdullah University of Science and Technology, also known as KAUST. You can find us on all major social channels, wherever you get your podcasts, and at sciencetown.kaust.com dot edu dot sa